message, hear the word of the Lord from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli's, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. He loved her. And because the Lord had closed her womb, and because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord, and she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord. Hannah replied, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away, ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When life gives you lemons, you, well, I guess there's a variety of things you can do. We're kind of confused by that. Our, uh, we said, and I must admit that probably I was a little culturally insensitive 
because we did think through when life gives you lemons, the whole idea was that you would make lemonade. Uh, but another way that we could look at this, and my apology again to uh, all my uh, Hispanic friends, because I think another way that we can look at this is when life gives you lemons, squeeze it on your tacos, right? Yeah, I became aware of when we this week, having some tacos, and I was like, there we go. So however you want to look at it, the whole idea behind this is that we're going to get lemons in life. That's just the way life is. We talked about that, that it's a sin-filled, it's a broken world, and life is going to give us pain, and life is going to give us hurt and brokenness, and, and that's the way it is until Jesus comes again, and we return and go with him to glory. But when we receive those lemons in life, the focus that we've been trying to talk about is how God can use those lemons and how God can turn those lemons into something good. And so if you want to think of lemonade or you want to think of lemon on your tacos, either way, it's how God can take those things and do good with them. And last week as we dove into this, we, we saw how God was able uh, in a difficult situation with lemons. We looked at the Apostle Paul. We heard from Jay and was able to say that when, God, when life gives you some lemons, it's a huge opportunity, huge opportunity to proclaim Jesus Christ and see others come to know the Lord. This morning we're going to look at a, a different uh, avenue of the way that we can make lemons, and we see that here in Hannah's story that uh, Greg read for us this morning. And that's found in uh, 1 Samuel, so if you don't have your Bibles open yet, I encourage you to do that. 1 Samuel 1 is where we're looking at this morning. And the person here who I mentioned who had lemons, her name is Hannah. Uh, Hannah certainly had uh, lemons in her life, and we ask ourselves what were her lemons, and the lemons we read there right off the beginning in verse 2, it says, Hannah had no children. Later on, we read in verse 5, it says, the Lord had closed her womb. While at first this may not necessarily sound so bad to us today, because in fact there are many women today who choose simply not to have children at all. But we need to understand that in the time that the Bible was written, this was a huge deal. Because one of the, one of the ways that the woman most contributed to the life of the family was to engage in the work of having children. Because to have children, especially sons, provided uh, workers for your family trade, provided somebody, uh, children to pass on the family trade to, provided somebody to take on your family name and to give on your inheritance, and ultimately when you're in your old age, somebody who would care for you. And so children were extremely important. They were extremely valuable commodity in that day. And so to not have a child was really considered a mark of, of shame. You don't have a child. That's what you're supposed to do. That's your work. That's what you're supposed to bring to your family and to your husband. And Hannah is feeling this incredible shame because she hasn't been able to have a child. And even worse, they might even look and say, well, God uh, doesn't love you. Uh, we read there, it says that the Lord had closed her womb. Because if you're not blessed, if you're not able to have children in the way that you should, then it, clearly God is mad at you. Remember the thinking of the disciples when they passed the blind man on the road. They said, who sinned, this man or his parents? That was their thinking. He's blind. He's, he's not physically right, so clearly God must be punishing. And so that's what Hannah's thinking too. Not only does she have the shame, 
but she's got this distance from God. And to make matters worse, while she's feeling all of this, enters into the scene the other woman, Penaniah. Because I don't know what he was thinking, Elkaniah had two wives. Why? <laughs> he has two wives, and I just want to say that I don't see that the Bible really supports polygamy. I think what the Bible shows in, in God's natural way and the way that God uh, best intends is ideal is that it's between one man and one woman. But sometimes the scriptures uh, recount what is happening in the culture and happening what is less than ideal, and I think this is one of those situations here. He, she has, he has two wives, and Penaniah has children, and Hannah doesn't. But Penaniah knows that Hannah is more loved by Elkaniah. Do you see the sister wives battle going on here? Do we see it? Here they are. And it not only says that Penaniah not only knows this, she drives into Hannah just to get at her. And notice what it's said down there in, uh, in verse 6. It says, her rival, that's a strong word, her rival, Penaniah, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. It's not she would just okay, occasionally give a comment like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. She's driving it in as much as she can. In fact, the, the, the translation of the exact Hebrew would be, her rival kept provoking her to provoke her to irritate her. It's like you're just going to layer it on and layer it on and layer it on. And so here's this woman just driving it into Hannah. You don't have a child. You don't have a child. You don't have a child. God doesn't love you. You're less than perfect. You're not all the woman that you should be. Year after year after year, and especially when they made the yearly pilgrimage to go to Shiloh, to go to the very presence of the Lord, which was supposed to be a joyful occasion, here you are coming into the presence of the Lord, and Penaniah's like, Hannah, you can't really come into the presence of the Lord because he's cursed you. He's closed your womb, girl. Your womb is closed, and you can't have any children because God doesn't love you, but I have five. Look at me. I'm, I'm very loved by God. And she's laying it on. And so what's the result in Hannah's life? What do we read going on with her? Verse 10 says, she has bitterness of the soul. Another translation says, deep anguish. Verse 15 says, she is deeply troubled. Hannah is depressed. It says that she's not eating, and she's weeping. And we get that because she's taking all of this in, and she's believing it, and she's thinking it deep down in her life. I haven't been able to have a child, so maybe they're right, I am nothing. Maybe they're right, God has cursed me. Maybe they're, they're right, I, should, I have all this shame upon me. And, and Hannah is just thinking through all of this, and the scriptures say that she was down, and she was discouraged, and she was depressed. And, and her husband, you got to love the guy, because he comes along and he tries to comfort her, doesn't he? In verse, verse 10, I believe it's in verse 10, he comes along to her. Uh, let's see, no, I lied. It's in verse 8, her husband, Elkaniah, comes to her and says, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 kids? Isn't that beautiful? Poor guy, he's trying. 
But Hannah, come on, look at me. I'm worth more than 10 kids. And she's just like, mm, no. And she weeps. And she cries. And she goes on. And so nothing is comforting her. And sometimes when life throws you lemons, doesn't it seem like the best thing you can do is just weep sometimes? And just cry. I mean, you just, you just feel that, that, that deep anguish. Have your, have your lemons ever brought you to that point? And maybe you're going through that right now, that you're experiencing some of these life lemons, and, and all you can do, your holy response is, I'm anguished, I'm grieving, you know, I'm in tears. I think back in my life, there are many of, many of you know kind of the, the ugly underbelly side of part of my story is back when I was in college, I was engaged, uh, not to Amy, but to another woman who we shall not name today. And I was engaged uh, to her, uh, and I had, um, she moved down to Texas. And so after my senior year at Hope College, she was a year older than me, uh, I uh, said no to all kinds of job opportunities that I had at, at Hope College. I said no to the hundreds of women who wanted to date me that senior year. I turned them down as well. And I um, committed myself and moved to Austin, Texas to be with her. And it had to be less than a day that I realized that she, she was dating somebody else. And so I grabbed the engagement ring and I drove straight back home. But that whole trip back home, I remember, was one of tears, right? My whole life. I saw everything. I was planning on life going this way. I was hurt. I was broken. Uh, I was lost. I, I, was in, I was in anguish. I was living this story. And probably even after I got home, my parents were like, what in the world is going on with you? Because sometimes when life throws you lemons, you just end up anguished because it hurts. That's the truth of it. And maybe you're there. Hannah's there. But we can learn from Hannah because what is, the, what is the step that Hannah takes? Her impulse, the impulse of Hannah is to move towards God in prayer. Verse 10 says, she prayed to the Lord. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. That's where she turned. You would have thought she might have gone some other direction, right? Because they're saying, well, God has cursed you. God has closed your womb. Why are you going, why would you even consider talking to him? But Hannah's impulse was not to move away from God, but it was to move towards God. And that needs to be our impulse as well. When we feel like life has given us lemons, and we're maybe even deep anguish, the way that we need, and the impulse that we need to have within us is not to move away from God, not to point a finger at God and say, God, you must not love me. God, you must not care. God, you must bring this upon me. God, this is all your fault. God, this is on you. Instead, what we need to do is turn towards him rather than move away from him. That needs to be our impulse. I think for me, when in my journey, when I got back from, from Texas, I was hurt. I was mad. I was angry. God, I'm a Christian. God, I serve you. God, I, 
I headed up a ministry at Hope College. God, I, I'm faithful to you. God, why would you bring this brokenness into my life? Why would you destroy my life? I, I turned down all kinds of possibilities, God. What am I going to do now? I'm left with a big bag of nothing. God, what am I going to do? It would have been easy to be angry and step away from him. But I turned towards God. Why? Because people of God, our help is in the name of the Lord who has made the heavens and the earth because our God is sovereign. Our God is the one who holds the very world in the palm of his hand. Our God is the one who is working in ways that are bigger than I can see. God's purposes are bigger than I can know. God's thoughts are bigger than I can even understand. And I love that because I don't want a God who fits into the palm of my hand. I want a God who's bigger than my understanding. I want a God who's bigger than my feelings. I want a God that I can lean into and trust and know at the end of the day that he has it under control. And that's why we turn. And that's why we lean into him. And that's why Hannah turned towards God. She was able to, to lean into God because she knew that's where her help came from. And so she kept on praying to the Lord. I love this. Again, the men in this passage are not real great. We got uh, Eli the priest, right? Hannah goes in and she's praying, and Eli the priest looks at her and says to her, well, how long are you going to stay drunk? Right? Hannah comes to the temple to pray. He looks at her. She's on her knees in anguish. Her lips are moving, and her lips are, are, are just reaching out to God. And he looks at her, and he assumes she's drunk. Well, we, partly we can understand this because, to the best of my knowledge, this is the first time that we find someone coming to the, the, the presence of the Lord officially here, like in the, uh, in the tabernacle or where uh, God's presence was kept in Shiloh. The very first time where somebody comes individually to see God, not coming part of a, a celebration, not coming as a group to, to pray out to God. Hannah comes in one-on-one -on -one into the presence of the Lord. And in a day and in a culture where you always prayed out loud, you never prayed quietly to yourself like we do today. That was unheard of in the Bible times. They always prayed out loud. But Hannah is in her grief and voicing the deep, what's going on in her heart to, to God. And Eli looks at her and goes, why are you drinking? How long must you be drunk? And I love Hannah. Can you just imagine what burns out of her and she is... She just unloads on him, like, I am not drunk. I am in deep anguish. I am in deep pain. I am pouring out my heart to God. I am pouring it out to him, so don't tell me that I'm drunk and I can't be here. Mm -mm. And she lets him have it. And he's like, well, well, all right then, okay, all right. Go in peace and may God, whatever you want, may God do it to you. And he gets out of the scene. But there is Hannah that she turns her heart towards God. That's her first impulse. And so can I ask you, what is your first impulse when you face a lemon in life? Is it to turn to social media and declare it in front of everybody to get, to get as many comments back so that you can start feeling good? Is it uh, uh, to lean into Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz? Do you turn that way with what's going on in your heart and life? Do you start Googling the latest websites to get the information to, to see what you, 
you need? Do you get on the phone and call your friends right away? Where do you turn? Do you turn to substances? I like, I'm just going to numb this pain. I hurt so bad. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to numb it with alcohol or with pills or with something. Where do you turn when life is giving you lemons? Because the example that we see here in the life of Hannah is that when our first impulse needs to be not move away from God, not to move anywhere else, but that we move to God. To God. And Hannah moves to God. That's her impulse. And what I like is that here is in her prayer, I see a shift in Hannah's prayers because what we see happening now is that the interest of Hannah's prayer changes. The interest of Hannah's prayer changes. Her impulse was to go to God. And I think Hannah has been going to God year after year as she goes to the temple, as she continues to pray. I think it was in Hannah's heart to say to God, God, I want a little boy. I want a little guy to cuddle. I want a little guy to love. I want a little guy that I can watch, that I can nurture and watch him grow up and become a man. God, I, I want a little guy that I can see become all that you want him to be. God, I just want to be a mother, and I just, I just want him so much to be able to, but I can, I can feel that kind of prayer coming out of Hannah. But in this time, her interest of the prayer changes. It's not on what she wants. It's not on what her desire is. But how does her prayer change here? Hannah says, God, if you bless me with a child, I will, in verse uh, we see here in verse 11, I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will be used upon his head. Now that's not just some crazy thing, like she's too lazy to take him to get a haircut. She's really just saying he will be separated, uh, taking the vow of the Nazarite. Nazarites were, were set apart, their hair wouldn't be cut, they couldn't drink wine, they couldn't touch anything dead, they couldn't be unclean. They were set apart for God. And Hannah says, God, if you bless me with a child... It's not for me and my family and, and my generations and my long-term care, but God, I will, I will give this child to you for your purposes. For your purposes. And the interest of Hannah's prayer changes. That's a big shift. Because often we still end up going to God with our prayers and saying, God, it's still about me. It's still about my wants. It's still about my needs, instead of coming to God and saying, God, here I am, I'm faced with this lemon, I don't know what to do with it, but I want to open myself and open my heart up to you, and that you would use this to work out your will, your ways, just as Jesus taught us to pray, God, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth, right here as it is in heaven, and God, I want you to use me to be a part of that. Would you do that? Would you take this lemon that I have, God? In some way, I offer it to you to be used. Now, that's a prayer God will answer. That's a prayer I believe God always answers. But it's not a prayer that we always give, is it? Quite often, our interest is just about ourselves. We pray to God, and God doesn't answer if he takes it away, if he doesn't remove it, if he doesn't ease it. But the focus of our prayer needs to be, God, go with me as I'm in this. And while I'm in this, God, use me. And I love the history here. If we look in the context of this story, we have the book of Ruth just before this. But the history that uh, happens, if you pull Ruth out, ends in Judges. Judges 21. 
is what comes right before Sam, 1 Samuel. In Judges 21, the last words are, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. No king. Everyone's doing as they saw fit. It's chaos. Nobody's following God. Who's supposed to lead people in the way of God? Eli. And then his great sons, uh, Phineas and uh, Hophni, are supposed to lead them as well. But what do we read uh, in 1 Samuel 2, 12? Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. You see the situation at this time when Hannah is offering her prayer? The nation of Israel is going crazy. They're not following God. The people who are supposed to be leading them, they're scoundrels and they're cheating everything every way that they go about it. And so what does God do? He raises up through Hannah a young man named Samuel who is devoted to him who will now lead the nation of Israel where they need to go. I don't think Hannah could have even thought to pray that. <laughs> but she humbly said, God, in the midst of this lemon, would you use me? Would you use my son to accomplish your purposes? And God answered that prayer in a way that she couldn't even imagine. Why? Because God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. No one can understand our God. And I found myself right there, too. I was praying to God. I was back. I was broken. I was lost. I had absolutely nothing to do, right? My, my life was I, I'm graduated from college, and I have a clean slate. This is not what I expected. I expected to have a job by now, right? Shame on me. I don't have a job. I expected now, by this time, to have uh, somebody to share my life with. I don't have anybody to share my life with. I'm living in my parents' condo in Hudsonville. Loser. I don't think life could have got much worse for me as a, you know, as a college graduate at that point. But my prayer that time was, God, here I am. Seems like it's a clean slate, so would you just use me? Would you just now show me what direction to go in? God, I know this was, this was awful. This was a rotten experience. And, and curse her for doing it. No, that was not my prayer. <laughs> well, okay, it was my prayer. But God, here I am. Will you work good? Will you work good in and through this? Because that is who God is. We talked about that verse last week in Romans 8.28. It says, for we know that in all things, even lemons, God can work good. God can work good. It doesn't mean they're all good. I wasn't feeling great. It wasn't awesome that, oh, my heart was broken and, oh, my life was shattered. That was not awesome. But could God work good in all of that? Yes, he could. And that's the God that we know. Jesus told us a parable in, in uh, Luke chapter 11. Let me just look at that a minute. I don't have time to uh, expound on all of that parable. But in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is telling a parable. And he's talking about uh, prayer. And uh, Jesus says... Suppose, uh, Luke eleven five. suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. 
A friend of mine is on a journey and has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, now notice mine has a little note there because I, I don't agree with that interpretation. The interpretation, if you look at those words, should be because um, yet to preserve his good name. All right? And I don't have time to talk about all of that there. But it says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and, and give you bread because of your friendship, yet because of his good name, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open unto you. Which of your fathers, in verse 11, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? Our God is the man who we're, we're knocking on the door, and it's not because we're nagging him and we're persistently, but it's because of his good character. He knows that person needs to be fed. He knows that person needs to be taken care of. And so he will get up like that person and take care of the need. Why? Nothing because of me. The very character of God, he's good. And so God will get up because he is a good God. And if your father is good, and if we on earth know how to give good gifts to our children, oh my goodness, think about the good gifts that our father knows how to give us. And those of us who maybe have gotten to the level where you have parents and you have kids, your kids don't always understand your good gifts, do they? Sometimes they think you're quite mean, and sometimes they think you're quite awful. But if you know how to do good for your children, think about how much more our Father knows how to do good for us. And that's why we turn to him. And we turn to him to trust him, to trust in his interests and to trust in what God will do. And so Hannah turns to God. Her first impulse is to move towards God. She shifts the interest of her prayer from herself to God, and then notice what happens in Hannah's life. What's the impact on her life? It says right there in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, it says, after she got done talking to Eli, it says in verse 18, then she went on her way, and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. She ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. That tells me that in that moment, the impact on Hannah's life was one of peace. All right, she's not pregnant yet. It wasn't like a miraculous birth, right? She didn't know. She had no idea if she was going to get pregnant. But she came into the presence of God. She poured her out her heart to God and said, God, I want you to use me. And God, knowing now she's able to, to, to leave, anchored in that trust that God is a good God and that God will do what is right and God will do what is good. And because of that, she is able to leave with the peace in her life. She ate. Her face was no longer downcast. And Hannah moves on. That's a great example, is it not, of what Paul says in Philippians 4? In Philippians 4, Paul says these words, Philippians 4, 7, or 4, 6, he says, don't be anxious about anything, 
But in every situation, every situation, lemon situation, yes, lemon situation, in every situation with thanksgiving and prayer, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Present your request to God in every situation. And then you know what? God will answer them all just as you want them answered. And God will take that illness away. And God will bless you with all kinds of children. And God will give you that money you so want. And God will just like a cosmic butler deliver everything into your hand. No, Paul doesn't say that. He says, and then, what does God give us? The peace of God, which, what does it do? Transcends all understanding. Will guard your hearts and your minds. I still got the lemon in my life. I still got the lemon. But I'm a person of peace. Wait a minute. How can you be, how can you have peace? Your life was just ripped to shreds. You drove down to Texas and you found out the person you were engaged to and was going to spend your life was dating another person. And you turned around and you came home to what? To all those jobs that you had turned down, to nothing, and now you're living in your parents' condo in Hudsonville. What has become of you? There should be no peace in your life. But I prayed to God. I turned to him. And I said, God, why don't you use me? And people would ask me in that moment, what are you doing? And with great peace, I would say, I'm not sure. I'm going to continue to put in underground sprinkling, because that's what I was doing. To make life even worse, I was putting in underground sprinkling. And all of you know how much I enjoy working with tools and getting my hands dirty. I will continue to put in underground sprinkling. And they go, until what? I go, until God answers my prayer until God gives me direction. But I know I'm his. I know he's got me in the palm of his hand. I know his ways are bigger than my ways, and I know that God can use me better than me moving down to Texas, getting married, and going into urban and regional planning. Perhaps God has something else in mind for me. And I'm putting an underground sprinkling. And one day my phone rings, and it's a call from the Other Way Ministries in downtown Grand Rapids, a place I never even heard of. But I had a friend who was a friend of a friend who knew me from Hope College in Camp Geneva, and they said, we are, have a position here for a youth director to work with our children and youth in the inner city, and we think you'd be great at that. Would you come and talk to us about it? And there I went into ministry. There I met my wife, Amy. There we continued on our journey together, and God finally brought me into the church after 40 years of battling him and saying, no, I could never be a pastor. God going, this is what I want for you in your life. And here you are. But it was the peace of God, which transcended all understanding. It made no sense. And maybe you're there today. And people will look at you and go, my goodness, look what you're going through. How is it possible that you are not anxious about this? How is it possible that you're not mad at God about this? How is it possible that you're not ready to throw in the towel? Why is it that you can have, a, have peace in your face of this? Because I'm a child of God, right? He's a good God. He's going to bring good gifts into my life. 
He's going to use me to accomplish his will on earth. Our God has this world in his hands, and he is bringing it all to a completion. And someday, someday, there's going to be no more mourning, no more pain. There's going to be no more lemons because I'm going to be with Jesus Christ. And so for me to live right now is Jesus Christ, and to die is gain. I can handle it. I can handle the lemons because God will bring the peace into my life. And so I just want to encourage you this morning to look at Hannah's life. And maybe you can identify with her. And maybe you can learn from her. Maybe you've been pushing God away as you've been facing your lemons. And I know that pain is deep. I know that hurt is deep. I know that anguish can be deep. But you have a God who is right there with his arms open wide. And if you don't think that God loves you, then look behind me at the cross. Because there is a God who sent his only son into the world to die just for you, to defeat everything that this world can throw at us. Look at the cross. Know that you have a God who is there who loves you, who today is watching over you, a God who has prepared a place for you where you can belong with him in eternity. In between now and then, he is not going to forget about you. He is going to give you everything that you need to sustain you. And you can be filled with the peace knowing that today. Will you turn to him as Hannah turned to her God? And I pray that God's peace, which passes all understanding, will fill your heart and your life.